Am I saying that the character of God can be boiled down to two teachers I had in public school? No. But these are two of God's elements, right? Great strictness and justice paired with comforting grace and love. In Job today, we're going to look at two men and see what they have to say about God. First Bildad, then Job. We'll see that one of them has an incomplete view of God and the other sees something the first misses. We'll see them consider the title at the top of your outline. If God is great, is there any hope for us? As a church, we've been going through the book of Job. We've seen God allow immense suffering to come into Job's life. We've seen Job's three friends come along and offer comfort in his suffering. And we know that at the end of the book, Job's three friends get rebuked by God for not speaking accurately of the Lord. We've actually seen the friends sound a lot like Satan. Near the beginning of the book, Satan claims Job only follows God for what he gives to Job. And the friends have been saying, Job, repent of your wrongdoing and you'll be blessed again. The two speeches we'll look at today mark the close of the second act at the top right of your outline and the close of all the back and forth between Job and his three friends. In the coming weeks, we'll see Job summarize his thoughts. We'll see a new character come along, Elihu. And then we'll see the Lord himself come in. But for now, let's focus on Bildad and Job and their interaction for the last time. The roadmap for today looks like this. Point one, Bildad says, God is great, so there is no hope for man to stand before him. Point two, Job counters with, God is great. Point three, so there must be hope. We'll be in chapters 25 and 26. If you have a church Bible, it's on... 277. Before I read, let's pray. Lord of all heaven, thank you for your word. We praise you for this time to gather as a body, your church body. We pray that you would bless our time in your word. Help us to come to know you more. Help us to see our sin, your holiness, and how you have bought us back. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay. Job 25, starting at the first verse. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in His high heaven. Is there any number to His armies? Upon whom does His light not arise? How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot, and the son of man who is a worm? That's right, a worm. (laughs) Point one. Bildad says, God is great, so there is no hope that man can stand before him. 
from Bildad's short little speech here, we see that some of what he has to say is good. But he is missing a key element of the character of God. Let's see where his perspective is incomplete. He starts off strong. Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his high heaven. Bildad's building God up, talking about his control. He says fear is with God. He is powerful enough to command peace in high heaven. He then describes God's vast armies and the light that he has made, the sun in the sky that shines on everyone on the face of the earth. Bildad is ascribing greatness and superiority to God, very true things about God's nature. Let's watch where he goes next. He moves from talking about God's greatness to man. Verse 4. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Do you think Bildad wants an answer to this question? I don't think so. At the very least, he wants a no. Bildad is implying that there is no way a man like Job could stand in the right before God. Job, God is too great. You're born of a woman. There's no way you could stand in the right before him. Bildad goes on saying that the moon, which when it is full, is big, bright, and white in the night sky, even that moon is not bright to God. And the stars, the crisp, clean stars around the moon are not pure in God's sight. What hope then is there for man? Bildad says, how much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. These are some uplifting words for mankind. Right, Jimmy? Maggot, worm. It's like when you're up high on a skyscraper and you work up the courage to walk over to the edge and you look out the window, down, 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 you see the little cars moving and all the little dots, the the people moving down there. That's a bit of what God's greatness is like and the greatness that Bildad is ascribing to him right here. Bildad is painting the contrast between God and man. God is great. Man is a worm. There is a vast difference between an infinite holy God and sinful man. Bildad is saying that there is no hope these two things could ever be reconciled. The chasm is just too great. And the worst part about this all is that if there's no hope for man, then there's no hope for Bildad. Bildad's speech is self-condemning. My friends, is Bildad not correct? Isn't the rest of the Bible littered with language like this? Describing the chasm between God and man. Psalm 113, speaking of God, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? Verses Romans 3, speaking of man, None is righteous. No, not one. Ecclesiastes 7, this should sound familiar. We just covered this. 
Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So Bildad is right, but it's not the whole story. Bildad's error is this. He has no hope for reconciliation. He has no hope for reconciliation. It doesn't occur to Bildad that the same God he ascribes greatness to might have the greatness and the power to reconcile man with himself. To make things right again between God and man. This is a huge blind spot in Bildad's theology. Serving a God like Bildad's is kind of like being a student under Mr. Aguirre, the strict one from my high school. I had much fear and respect for Mr. Aguirre, but I felt like I could never be good enough. I could never be in the right. Where are you tempted to embrace a perspective like Bildad's? View God as a strict, commanding, fearsome God. All great things, but you're tempted to forget the other part of the story. God's other character traits like mercy, grace, forgiveness, love. Are you tempted to serve a commanding, pharisaical God before whom you could never be pure? If so, bring the other attributes of God into your worship. Serve the God of the entire Bible. So, in this point, we've seen Bildad say, God is great, so there is no hope for man to stand before him. We've seen Bildad's error. Let's move to Job and see how what he says is different. For this, we're going to read all of chapter 26. I'm going to take a drink. Starting at the first verse. Then Job answered and said, he's speaking to Bildad, how you have helped him who has no power, how you have saved the arm that has no strength, how you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge. With whose help have you uttered words and whose breath has come out from you? The dead tremble under the waters in their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon has no covering. Now he's talking about God. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Point two, Job says, God is great. Job responds to Bildad with biting sarcasm. It's actually quite funny. 
Verse 2. How you have helped him who has no power. How you have saved the arm that has no strength. Counseled him without wisdom, declared sound knowledge. Verse 4. With whose help have you uttered words and whose breath has come out from you? Bildad, you're so wise. Thank you so much for helping me in my time of deep suffering. This is just what I needed to hear. Not. Job is being very sarcastic, and if you read it too quickly, you'll miss it. He's responding to Bildad's view of God with mockery. Bildad's words are doing anything but helping Job. Next, we've got two perplexing verses about the dead. We're going to come back to these. Starting at verse 7 through the end, Job gives his account of God's greatness. Verse 7, He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He starts with some creation imagery. God makes something out of nothing and then hangs that something on nothing. All by God's magnificent power. Verse 8, God binds up the waters in His thick clouds and somehow the water doesn't leak out the bottom of the clouds. Down to verse 11, the pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at His rebuke. By His power, He stilled the sea. By His understanding, He shattered Rahab. By His wind, the, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the serpent. His, 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 His. Job is ascribing greatness to Him. Job, like Bildad, is magnifying the Lord, describing His greatness, poetically displaying His majesty. He is saying similar things to Bildad. God is great is what it boils down to. Remember the skyscraper perspective from Bildad's section? Job saying the same thing. Job agrees with God's greatness. So you might be saying to yourself, what Bildad says and what Job says, they sound pretty similar. What is the difference? Let's look at point three. Job says, so there must be hope. There are at least two differences between these two men. The first is that Job recognizes he doesn't fully understand God. Job recognizes he doesn't fully understand God. Verse 14 is key. Job says, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Job saying, Bildad, we're describing his power, and yet we only see in the tip of the iceberg. We ain't seen nothing yet. Who can really understand this God? You see, Bildad and his two friends have boiled God down to a science. They've put him in a box. They serve a God of karma. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. There is no way man could ever stand before God. No way, no how. End of story. Where Job differs is that he's willing to admit he doesn't fully understand God. 
but the thunder of his power. Who can understand? And it's this willingness to recognize he doesn't fully get God that leads to hope for Job. We'll get to that in just a bit. The second difference between Job and Bildad is that Job's understanding is growing while Bildad's is boiled down to that static box. Job's understanding of God is growing. Bildad's is boiled down to a box. Let's go back to those verses about the dead. Verses 5 and 6. The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God. Sheol is a term that means the place of the dead. And so what this verse is saying is that the dead are naked before God. Or God sees the dead. Doesn't sound like much. But if you consider this alongside what Job has said earlier in the book, it's substantial. Back in chapter 7, Job laments, The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. So, early on, Job had no hope of God seeing the dead. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. Contrast that with what we just read, chapter 26. Job says, God sees the dead. Job is progressing in his understanding of God throughout the book. Two more examples. Early on in chapter 9, Job concludes that there will be no arbiter between him and God. Then later in chapter 16 and 19, his perspective, excuse me, his perspective changes. We know that Job says, my Redeemer lives. There is no arbiter. No, there is an arbiter after all. Early on in chapter 14, here's another one. Job has no hope for resurrection. Then, in chapter 19, he grows into an understanding that he will be bodily resurrected. So, throughout the book, Job's understanding of God has been growing. He's been grasping more and more an accurate picture of who God is. Meanwhile, his three friends are stagnant in their theology. Man has no hope before God. Eliphaz said that in chapter 4, and Bildad's saying the same exact thing now. But Job's not having it. He's saying, Bildad, I think you're missing something. Job's on to something big. Job's on the trail that would lead him to God himself bringing about reconciliation. Job's on the trail that would eventually lead to Jesus. To Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. Jesus being mocked for claiming to be God's son. Jesus being crucified for sins he didn't commit. Job's on the trail that finds its end at the crucifixion. When darkness came over the land, when the earth quaked, when the rocks split, the dead came to life. 
the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus cried out after being forsaken. This is what Job was yearning for. Where Bildad says, God is great, and so there is no hope. Job says, God is great, so there's mo- there must be hope. There's got to be a way. Bildad says, how then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? How? Through Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus. That's how we can be pure. That's how we can stand in the right before God. And so I invite you, if you haven't placed faith in Christ, do it today. Jesus is the way God has reconciled His holiness with man's sin. How does this apply to us? The first one I have is, like Job, allow your understanding of God to grow. Allow your understanding of God to grow. You nor I at this moment have a perfect understanding of God. I'm convinced we'll be learning about this infinite God for all of eternity. And so as you sit under teaching, as you read the scriptures by yourself, allow your perspective of God to change and grow as necessary to become more in line with who God actually is. Don't resist it. Allow Scripture to correct your fractured perspective. This just happened to me a couple weeks ago. And I don't want this to be a distraction. I want it to be an illustration. Hebrews 5 talks about how Jesus was made the perfect sacrifice as He lived through suffering. It never struck me before that Jesus had to be made the perfect sacrifice through life He lived on earth. I thought he would be the perfect sacrifice as a babe. And so I humbled myself before the scriptures. I said, you know, this is the truth. I'm going to submit myself and my perspective of God before the scriptures and change my perspective. My understanding of God grew. The second and final one I have for you is to call yourself out when you see no hope for reconciliation. Call yourself out when you see no hope for reconciliation. You cannot only preach about separation from God without what He's done in Christ to win us back. We must tell both sides of the story. Doing otherwise is blaspheming the name and the work of Jesus Christ. So, call yourself out when you see no hope. As you feel inadequate and as you find yourself saying, there's no way I'll ever be good enough. I'll never be in the right. You're sounding a lot like Bildad. God has provided a mediator who makes you good enough. Believe in Jesus. If you're like me, you're tempted to view God the way Bildad does. 
Even if you don't admit it, we functionally live that way sometimes. God is great, and so we we try to be great like Him. We try to do our best, and we try so hard, and then when we fail, when we sin, we lose all hope. Why do we lose hope? Because we have subconsciously placed our hope in ourselves rather than the cross of Jesus. What attracts us to this messed up theology like Bildad's? Why are we tempted to view God in this untrue way? This I'll never be good enough way. This I'll never be able to measure up. We know that Jesus has done it for us, but we still tend to view our state before God just like Bildad does. No hope. I'll never be in the right. I find myself in this camp sometimes. Whenever I sin, I throw in the towel. There's no hope. I'll never be pure. Meanwhile, Jesus is standing up there before the Father, interceding for me, saying, Yeah, you're pure. Remember what I did? Do you want to subscribe to static box theology like Bildad? Or do you want to trust in the saving power of the gospel because God himself says it's true? The next time you fail, the next time you sin, don't lose hope of standing in the right before God. Trust in Jesus and His in His deep, rich mercy. In closing, we need to repent of our tendency to trust anything besides the cross of Christ. We need to say with Job, the thunder of his power, who can understand? Lord, I don't understand the extent of your power and your mercy and your grace, but I trust the gospel because you say it's true. I just failed for the hundredth time, but you say I'm, I'm pure before you because of Jesus. And so I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Ironically, this is exactly the kind of God we need. A God who we can't fully understand and a God who would bring about salvation in a way that we would never dream of. A God who would take our corrupt theology and give us renewed hope in a Redeemer. Turns out God is a lot like the two of my teachers combined. But He is so much more than that. He is a God who is great and a God who has the power of reconciliation. So, if God is great, is there any hope? You betcha. Our God is the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise your name. Lord, thank you for bringing about reconciliation through your Son, Jesus Christ, that though we are depraved, we are messed up, we are fallen, we are more wicked than we could ever imagine or know. But God, in your rich, deep mercy, you have provided a substitute. You have provided a way back to you. Lord, I pray that as we're tempted to view you like Bildad, in that there's no hope, that we would repent of this and trust in your gospel because you say it's true in your scriptures. Father, we praise you now. 
In the name of Christ, amen.